Welcome, welcome. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so used to doing the announcements in the morning. Yeah. The last time people clapped for me coming up on stage was when I used to be a rapper. <laughs> you can see the way I'm holding the mic. Because you move around a lot, so you have to. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Thank you so much. Okay, let's pray. Let's get into it. Heavenly Father, Lord our God, thank you, Lord God, for this great opportunity. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this great privilege as well. I pray that you may speak to your people, Lord God, as you see fit. Right now, Father God, clear all the minds and clear our ears, Lord God, so that we may receive anything that we need to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, we honor you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. It's going to run my time. Make sure that I'm sticking to 30 minutes. Because you all know I can go. <laughs> All right, okay, the sermon today, um, it's going to be called uh, Built for the Grace of God. Yeah, Built for the Grace of God. So, um, as you guys know, uh, Pastor Trace is going to be teaching just foundational messages um, from this week onwards. So, I figured, look, let me join in on on, on something foundational, and yeah, and uh, the grace of God. All right. So, Hey, man. All right. Um, what, what is grace? What is grace? Um, what is the grace of God? What is the grace of God? All right. So we're going to go into some definitions for grace that I've picked up in uh, Merriam-Webster's dictionary. Um, the first one is grace is unmerited divine assistance given to humans for their regeneration or sanctification. The the second one is a virtue coming from God. And the third one, um, I really like this one, is a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. Yeah, I really like number three, a state of sanctification enjoyed through divine assistance. So basically, according to uh, Merriam-Webster, grace is a form of assistance uh, for humans for their regeneration and sanctification. And then um, I like the the, the, the Bible's uh, definition of grace, and we're going to go to Romans 6.14 to find out what grace is. So Romans 6.14 For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you are under grace. So that's what the definition of grace is. I'm sure there's others in in the Bible as well. And the nice thing about the Bible is that it's not an either-or type of book. It's um, always an and-and type of book. So you can find other definitions as well um, when you, whenever you read. So we know that grace, God shows grace to everyone. We know that um, grace is experienced um, unmeritedly. However, when we go to uh, John 1 verse 17, it tells us that grace came actually with Jesus Christ, but the law came with Moses. So grace came with Jesus Christ, and the law came with Moses. And when I read that, a thought hit me that, is it possible? Is it possible? Right? We've just read that you are not under law, 
but you're under grace. And grace came with Jesus Christ, and Moses came with the law. Could this be possible that this is the reason why Moses actually never made it to the promised land? You know? Because Moses was, he came with the law. Right? And we all know what happened um, in the Red Sea. Moses with the law had to raise his hands, had to raise his staff in order for the Red Sea to part. And we all know what happened at the Jordan River. The only way the Jordan River parted is when the, the, the Levites actually stepped into the water. So the Jordan River required a step of faith, right? The Jordan River required a step of faith, but the Red Sea required effort. So could it be that Moses missed, well, we all know why he missed it. It's because his anger got to him, which is why he was under the law. You know, one of the things that grace does for us is that it leads us out of anger. So I like to, to, to think that grace is our avenue, not to the promised land, but to the land of promises. So what is God's desire for us? Right? God desires a lot of things for us. But I believe, according to the Bible, that, you know, we have one predestined destination. So, Sean, this is not me talking about predestination or whatever. <laughs> yeah, Sean and I, we, you know. But if we read um, Romans 8, 28 to 29, we find our predestination. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. I'm, I'm going to stop it there. You can read others later. So this is what God desires for us, our predestination. So when you wake up in the morning, you take a look at your ticket. It says departure. Uh, wherever you stay, Olivedale, Amsterdam, and it says destination is conformed to the image of Christ. So this is not about election or what not, what not, but predestination. The only predestination in the New Testament that I could find is to be conformed into the image of Christ. So I'm basically setting this up to understand why the need for grace, why the need for the new covenant, why the need for the New Testament, this new and living way. So why must we become like Christ? Well, I'm just going to have two reasons over here. It's because Jesus was obedient and lived for God. Jesus, from the time he was born, lived for God. And we see this um, by the fact that Jesus never actually preached a message until he was 30 years old. However, before he even preached, we all know that God uh, confirmed him by actually saying that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So I like to picture Jesus as a, you know, a little kid, little teenager, you know, sitting there listening to his mom. And his mom says, Jesus, go do your bed. I'm sure he's thinking, bruh. <laughs> I made beds. 
But Jesus was obedient to God, right? He was obedient to God. Now what happens when we try and obey, obey our parents? There's the thing that rises up, rises up inside of us. This is now you're telling me what to do. And I think we know why, right? Before we got saved, it's because we were under the law. That thing just rises up and it wants to rebel. But we are no longer under the law because we are under grace. And the second reason why we need to become like Christ is because earth is scheduled to be destroyed, right? Earth is scheduled to, to be destroyed because there's God's rebels on earth. And also um, a part of heaven is also scheduled to be destroyed because uh, Paul tells us that in the heavenlies, there are enemies. There are enemy combatants in the heavenlies. So we know that earth is scheduled to be destroyed and the heavens are also scheduled to be destroyed and there's going to be a new earth and a new heaven where there are no rebels, where there is no corruption, right? And I'd like us to go to uh, Revelations 21 verse 7. Now the Bible here clearly shows us The Bible here clearly shows us that he who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. So it's very important that we have an overcoming spirit in us. An overcoming a desire to overcome by the word of our testimony, by the blood of the lamb, and not loving our life unto death. However, you can't really do these things just by setting your mind to do them. You can't strive to, 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 um, to overcome, right? We all saw Jesus. Jesus never, he, I mean, he never really had like this effort behind the things that he did. He just simply did them. And the Bible in, um, in John chapter 1 says, says that the, um, Jesus was full of grace. Actually, it's Luke. Yeah. In Luke, it says that Jesus was full of grace, right? And he grew in stature and in the wisdom and knowledge of God. So I think for us to understand where it is we're going and why that we need the need for grace is to understand, first of all, is that we need to become like Jesus because only those who are overcomers, just like Jesus, and I love the fact that Jesus actually came here on earth to prove to us that you can overcome. You can overcome, you can be obedient to God. You can keep God's laws, right? Not the laws of Israel, but the laws of the Spirit. And also, how do we measure ourselves, right? We, we, we in Jobex, so most of us, we're in companies. We know that we have uh, key performance indicators, you know? Uh, so how do we measure ourselves if we're getting there? I'd like to go to Matthew 11, chapter 28. Jesus says he is gentle and he's humble at heart and his yoke is light and his burden is easy. So the more and more you find yourself becoming gentle, the more and more you, you find yourself becoming humble, that's when you know, okay, I've made a little bit of progress, right? The more and more you find yourself not requiring things from people, putting heavy yokes on people, especially your closest people, your kids, uh, wife, you know, uh, parents or people that work under you at work, the more and more you don't require of them 
heavy burdens. You don't put heavy burdens on them. Then you'll know that, okay, I am slowly or I am getting there. So this is our barometer, is that we're getting gentle and we're getting humble at heart and we don't place a heavy yoke or burden upon people requiring stuff from them. And you know the Lord did tell us that we shouldn't lord over people like the world lords over people. So basically, now we know we need this grace, this grace to take us to become overcomers so that we can live with God one day in the new heaven and the new earth. How do we get this grace? Right? Now, a lot of us, we all know that grace is unmerited favor. Right? How do I get grace? We all know that grace is unmerited favor. However, there's another, there's another one here, right? Like I said, it's an and-and thing. It's not an either-or thing. If we look at 1 Peter 5, uh, verse 5 to 6, shows us how we get our grace. Through humility is how we get our grace. If you could just put it up there, Isha. It says, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with the humility to, toward one another for God, for, for, towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see here, God has set us up. God has set us up to receive grace. He's told us how we can receive that extra grace. Yes, everybody in the world receives grace, which I actually like to call favor. I actually like to call favor the one that is talked about in Matthew chapter 5, that the, the, the sun rises on the wicked and the righteous and the rain falls on the just and the wicked alike. I like to call that favor because everyone experiences the favor of God. Muslims, Hindus, you know, some of them actually are receiving more than us. Uh, look, look, all the Muslims, they got all the businesses and, you know, all the Jewish people. You know, they're they living lavish. <laughs> you know, they're living lavish. <laughs> you know, while the Christians, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, so I like to call that favor, right? And I like to call grace the divine assistance given to humans for sanctification and regeneration. Now, I've got a definition here from uh, Merriam-Webster. The definition of humility, the defini and I really like this one, is freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. So humility, according to Webster's, is, a, is freedom from pride or arrogance. And I think that ties up nicely with uh, the Bible because uh, God says that he opposes what? The proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I really like this because it seems that pride is actually one of the biggest issues on earth. And I truly believe that this is because of what happened to Satan, because his heart got proud. Therefore, we've inherited that, that pride because obviously, you know, we come from Adam and Adam um, fell to worshiping the devil. I'd like to look at Philippians uh, chapter 6, verse 8. Philippians chapter 6, verse 8. So elsewhere, 
So here it says that God exalted Jesus Christ because of his humility. Right? God exalted Jesus Christ because of his humility. And I believe that for us, not every knee will bow to us. We won't control everything. But I think for us, God will exalt us because of our humility over the power of sin. Because that's actually our battle here, is the power of sin. And, you know, guys, I'm not talking about, you know, those gross sins. Because, you know, I'm sure by now, you know, we we we, we at that level where we all know, you know, we, we keep the, the good Christian laws. You know, I don't smoke, I don't drink, you know. But I'm talking about the things that are unseen, you know, your anger, um, lust, um, jealousy, envy greed, all the things that are invisible, I believe that these are the things that we really, really need grace for. These are the sins that we really, really need to be exalted over. Because it's easy, you know, I mean, they did it, Paul and them did it. Paul says he kept the entire law except for number 10, you know. So it's easy to say, oh, no, I don't lie, I don't cheat. I don't steal. Muslims do it as well. Everybody does it, you know. But the one that slew us, the one that, that, that Paul talks about, is that not to lust after your neighbor's wife. And that was the one that was in your mind. And I believe God left that in there just to prove that, bruh, <laughs> you, you can't keep up these laws. And that's just number 10, you know. Apparently, there's like 600 others. So we just need to be cognizant and not to pat ourselves on the back just because we have a good testimony um, in front of our brothers and sisters. We have a good testimony at work. We have a good testimony, you know, um, around our parents, around our friends. We need to have a good testimony before the devil because the devil sees exactly what you're thinking. Well, not what you're thinking, but what you're doing in those closed doors. The devil knows all the things you do, all the things that result because of your wrong thinking. And we need to have a good testimony before the devil so that God points us out the same way he pointed Job out and say, okay, fine, you know. The devil probably going there telling God, yeah, look at so-and-so, this is how they're living. Because you know then Revelation says that the devil accuses us in front of God day and night. He accuses the brethren day and night. So I'm sure the devil goes there and says, yeah, you see how they're living. They claim to be Christians. And I know God probably doesn't answer. But my desire is that God actually points me out. And I believe that that should be all our desire, is that God points us out. And he says, okay, fine. They might not be living righteous, but have you seen Tor? Have you seen Tinky? Have you seen Justin? You know, we need to have a testimony to the unseen realm. Now, what does grace do for us, right? So we've established that we need grace. What does, what does it do for us? Number one, it helps us to overcome sin. Grace helps us to overcome sin, Romans 6.14. Grace helps us in the times of need, in Hebrews 4.16. And also, grace is the direct opposite of sin. Where sin once reigned in our hearts, now grace strengthens our hearts and does what foods and rituals cannot do, according to Hebrews. So Sean and I were having this discussion yesterday where 
you know, the, the, the other religions, there's a lot of things that they do to, to, to appear righteous. And I used to, I, I used to, before I used to, you know, before I became saved, I, I used to hold Muslims quite high, you know, because they were very, you know, meticulous about their religion. 12 o'clock, they shut down their stores, you know, they pray five times a day. But standing here today now, knowing what I know now, that all of that is fruitless. It's all done in vain. It has no power to change the heart. It has no power to conquer your anger. It has no power for you to obey the Sermon on the Mount. And we know the Sermon on the Mount is basically Jesus showing us, you know, the new laws. Actually taking the law to a higher standard. And then going on in the rest of the Gospels to prove that, yo, you can actually live like this. You know, Jesus didn't come down as an angel or, you know, as a son of God and, you know, just, you know, just, yeah, you see me, I can, no, he humbled himself. He humbled himself, he came in the flesh so that he can show us. Because it's easy for God to say, yeah, um, jump over the Red Sea. <laughs> like, yo, dude, you know, I'm a human. But what Jesus literally did is that he took off his clothes, put on his bathing suit, he got into the Red Sea, and he swam across the other side. And he said, bruh, you know how to swim? You got two legs, two, two arms just like me. And you can see I swam to the other side. Now all you got to do is learn how to swim and you will get to the other side. And I love this because this encourages me to know that I can become just like Jesus step by step by step by step. I'm not there yet and I probably will never get there yet. I'll probably be perfected on the last day. But while I'm down here on earth, I can, 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 can respond to that call. And I can see that I've responded to that call by the fact that this grace strengthens me and this grace empowers me to keep on going and changing. And number four is that, you know, the power of grace, and I believe that to humans it comes it's ministered by the Holy Spirit, is that it caused unlearned fishermen to turn the world upside down. I mean, these guys were just regular Joes going to work, you know, probably outcasts. Um, but for some strange reason, 12, 12 guys, 11 guys changed and became just different men, you know, different men. And I remember when I first got saved, I, I would ask the Lord, Lord, Actually, I would say to the Lord, Lord, I want to be like David. Like, I want to slay Goliath. I want to be like David. I want to be the man of the God's own heart. And God would be like, no, you don't want to be like David. Well, why not? Out here fighting, you know, giants. And, and God said, why don't you want to be like Peter? Why don't you want to be like Paul? Why don't you want to be like, look at all my Old Testament servants. And look at all my New Testament servants. Completely different. Like, no backsliding, no fall. Okay, they probably did fall, but that they had the spirit of repentance to just keep on going. I mean, what's his name? Peter was rebuked by Paul. But you still hear of Peter later on doing exploits, carrying on. You know, things that the Old Testament heroes just could never do. I mean, we were talking yesterday with Pastor Paul at the men's conference is that Samuel and Eli, 
they, they failed in raising their kids. And according to the New Testament standard, Eli and, 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 and Samuel are actually not fit to be elders. If we actually look at the New Testament standard of being an elder or a pastor or a shepherd, I mean the great man of God, Samuel, is actually unfit in the New Testament. And we all know why. It's because they never had the power of grace. They were under the law. So, and this also taught me that I must never compare myself to David and them. I must never compare myself to any of the Old Testament saints because that's what they had to deal with. I, fortunately, I've been placed in the new covenant, meaning that I can come up higher. So I can't get to the last day and then when they open the books and I'm like, yo, well, David, oh, David killed his, you know, yo, well, why are you mad at me for stealing a chocolate, you know? Well, David killed, like, hey, bro, David was under the law. <laughs> you are under grace, bro. You know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, like, for, for me, I don't want to have those conversations, guys, when I get to heaven. Like, I just want to get there and discuss rewards. I don't want to have conversations of, yo, why didn't you do this? Because you know them conversations with the Lord. It's like, it's a one-way conversation where you just like, it's like a one-way conversation, you know what I mean? But anyway, let me wrap it up, guys. So, the good news, right, is that it's not easy. But the good news is that the game has actually been rigged for us. God has actually rigged, for, rigged us. And this ties in to the, to, to, to the title of my message, is that you've actually been built for grace. Now, when I first got saved, I used to ask the Lord, Lord, why are they, why are they disabled people? Like, why are there people who are challenged physically? Why are there handicapped people on earth? And the Lord basically... You know, I'll paraphrase what he says. He says, I, I build everyone so that they can make it. Everyone is knitted in their mother's womb, exactly designed to make it, exactly designed to receive the grace of God. So, really the statement that you are built for, for the grace of God is that your physical body, in your physical body, your makeup, you have attributes that cause you to be humble. You have attributes which the world calls humiliating, right? Which the, it's undesirable to the world. And I believe that those attributes have been placed so that you might receive grace. Because when you come around and you know that Hey man, you know, my, my, my nose is a big, big, and, uh, you know, you, 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 you know, you, you, you know, there's a certain, you know, humility about you, how you react in the situation. You know what I mean? And everyone has that thing. Everyone has that handicap. But I like to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that it's actually not a handicap. It's actually God rigging the game so that you can receive grace. Because why? It humbles you. For me, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be real. You know, for me, it's my height. You know? I come around, you know, I'm, all, I'm always around tall people, you know, wearing suits, MBAs, and stuff like that. And my height actually humbles me. Because I think, damn. <laughs> and I carry myself a certain way. And I realize, if I was this tall guy, I'd probably be arrogant, proud, and God would oppose me every single day. But because I'm conscious 
of my height, I've decided, you know what, bruh, I'm going to use this height to get as much grace as I can possibly get. So I don't know what it is for you. You know what I mean? I don't know, might be bad breath, you know. Maybe, you know, maybe you've tried everything. You know. Guys, there are people like that, you know. You've tried everything. But because of your bad breath, you carry yourself a certain way. It humbles you. Now I want to encourage you, brother and sister, use that bad breath to get yourself grace so that you can overcome. You can overcome so that when you come around, when you come around those people that have good breath, you can have a testimony that they cannot have in front of God and the devil. You can have a testimony with your bad breath. Right? You can have a testimony with your bread breath. Now, we all need to rely on grace all the time. If we go to our next slide there, in um, Acts chapter 13, verse 43, we see that the disciples encouraged, encouraged everyone to rely on the grace of God all the time. So, brothers and sisters, let's use these things that God has built into us. I don't know what, what it might be. You know, you, you might have a, you know, what they call squint. Like, what, yeah, like I think. That's, that's built for you for the grace of God. Don't try to go, go get surgery or whatever. You know, yes, I'm not, I'm not against surgery. All right, there we go. I'm not against surgery or anything like that to improve yourself because God has given us surgeons to improve ourselves. But for, for, for those little things that you cannot do anything about, God has actually given you those things so that you can be what? An overcomer and have victory over sin. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word. And thank you, Lord God, that you have literally built us to receive your grace. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we may use this message to help us in every single step of the day and not to curse our undesirable traits, not to curse those things that the world considers um, undesirables, but to love them and to honor you with them because they will help us to overcome. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe one day, Lord God, actually, we do know. We will, be glorif we will have glorified bodies and we probably won't have these things. I probably, won't, I probably won't even be black in the next life. I don't know. But Lord, I know that you have built me the way that you have built me so that I may receive grace from you so that I may overcome sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.